0: Turn your Bible to Malachi, out of all places. No, I'm not preaching on tithing today, don't worry. That's the other end of the book. Turn to Malachi, my watch would rather preach than me, I suppose. Malachi chapter 1, before we read, I'm going to go ahead and let you in on my title. The Lord, I feel, wanted me to say this, that we should be a people... That are shutting the door to worthless worship. I want to talk about shutting the door to worthless worship. Did you know there was such a thing? The hair stands up on the back of my neck when I think about the moments in my time uh, of following the Lord where I have taken part in worthless worship. Worthless worship. Somebody tell you, neighbor, shut the door. Oh, they didn't believe you because you whispered it. Somebody tell your neighbor, shut the door. We need to shut the door to worthless worship. Let me ask you this question, church. Why is God worth your worship? Somebody tell me. You know we preach back at the preacher here. Because he's good, because of who he is. Let's hear it. Huh? He's perfect. Why is he worth our worship? Because of what he's done. He's holy. That's what he created us for. By golly, if we don't cry out the praises of God, the rocks will cry out in our place. There's an old song I'm sure Becky will sing one day. I don't want the rocks to cry out in my place. I sure don't. Give me two more. Why is God worthy of our worship? Bless you. What compassion. He's been so kind to us. Anybody else? Things are hard, things are tough, things are bad even, but he remains the same. Then, now, and forever, he is good. Amen? God is worthy of our worship, church. He's worthy of our worship. True, effective, meaningful, legitimate worship. I think here in Malachi chapter 1, God speaks to this. Look at what the Bible says here. This is God speaking through the prophet uh, uh, Malachi here. It says, I wish one of you would shut the temple door. Somebody say, shut the door. Really try to grasp the tone of God and his feelings in this moment. I wish one of you would shut the door to the temple so that you would no longer kindle useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you. He was plain about it. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord, the Lord of armies. And I will accept no offering from your hands. That's a scary place to be. My name will be great among the nations, he declares this, from the rising of the sun to its setting, Incense and pure offerings will be uh, presented in My name in every place. You ever read that verse where it says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord both now and forever? This is the decree. Incense and pure offerings or worship will be presented in My name in every place. Because My name will be great among the nations. Says the Lord of armies, almost in a tone of whether you like it or not. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, Look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring, in other words, you're bringing the lesser value to the table of the Lord. You're bringing uh, the, the least effort to the table of the Lord. He says, You bring this as an offering to me. I am to accept this from you? Ask the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king. Somebody say, he's great. He is a great king, says the Lord of armies. And my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. Somebody say, amen. So to get the picture here, As we talk about shutting the door to worthless worship. This is God speaking to His people about the posture of their heart as they come before Him in worship in this mundane manner. And they bring to Him the blemished from their flock when they know they have the good and perfect sacrifice to bring before the Lord. They bring to Him Very little effort in their worship. And he says through the prophet, I wish they would just shut the door. If that don't stand your hair up on your neck, I don't know what will. God Himself, looking upon the very intent of your inward being, as you come to Him in worship and saying, I wish they would shut the door. Why? Because it's worthless if it means nothing. It's worthless. If you will only bring half of you, if you only bring pieces of who you are, if you only get a little honest with the Lord, not really honest with the Lord, if you only come to Him with one foot in and one foot out, it's worthless worship, God says in His Word. It's worthless. I wish they'd shut the door because it's worthless. Oh, but God is good, though, and he's so kind. His mercy endures forever. Thank God that he is so powerful to have mercy on us that when we come in here in this posture of worthless worship, he loves us anyway. He cares about us anyway. He goes with us anyway. Because when we fail, He flourishes. When we fall, He flies. Praise the Lord in this place. He's good. But today the Lord wanted me to say this to myself and to all of us here under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room today. You need to shut the door to worthless worship. Father, I pray your blessing in this moment as I read from your word and as I preach this message. God, I pray that you would speak directly to us and make us afresh and anew today with this new perspective, and let us not take part in any more worthless worship. Personally, we want to draw closer to you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. I think, and this is what I believe, I believe faith, hope, and love are the streams that feed the rivers of your worship. I think it's from faith that we worship. It's from the hope that we have in God that we worship, and it's from this love that we have for the Lord that we worship. God says, I, I wish you would just shut the door because the worship is worthless. So how do we Come before the Lord or come before the throne with worthy worship. How do we do it right? How do we properly revere the Lord? How do we properly uh, exclaim His glory and mean it from our heart? Faith, hope, and love. Those are the streams that feed the rivers of your worship in this place today. What is faith? Faith. the belief in things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. You can't see the wind, but you know when it's windy outside. You can't necessarily see God the Father on His throne today, but you know that He works the waves, He works in your life through the things that you can tell about the testimonies that you have oh god has been faithful i asked in the beginning of this message what makes him worthy of your worship and a lot of you spoke from what i know and can discern as a testimony you spoke from experiential wisdom you've had times in your life where he's had to pull you through you've had times in your life where you've understood that it's only because of his kindness that you have his grace and mercy it's only because his long suffering and his forbearance that you are alive and breathing and well you spoke from a testimony anybody got a testimony in this place of God's goodness, of how He's brought us from death to life. He's worthy of our worship today, church. He is faithful when we are faithless. But your faith will drive your worship. Faith feeds worship. Write that down. Faith, Your faith will feed your worship. It's the evidence of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. It's when you trust and know that God is real. You trust and know that He hears you. You trust and know that God loves you and cares for you and wants better for you. And know when you trust and you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can really just fear no evil because you know that God is with you. That's faith. That's what faith is determining within yourself that you will trust and lean upon the Lord. Does anybody trust and lean upon the Lord in this place? Anybody had to do so this week? I get on the phone and I pray with people all week long or we'll go me and John Stancil and the deacons and everybody else who can Pastor Ben we'll go to the hospital and sit with people uh, day to day whenever they need us to and over and over and over again we go before the Lord on people's behalves and it's it's crazy because over and over and over again we bring these petitions before the Lord like so and so is sick God I know you can heal them we trust you that you can heal them Father we would you heal them? Would you be with them? Would you protect them? Would you keep them safe? Would you take the anxiety away? Would you take the uh, the issues within their, their bodies away? God, would you heal them? And God is faithful every time and he comes up and he just does his work and he fulfills those things. But here's the thing. The more we pray, the more he's miraculous. He does it What I'm saying, church, is he's faithful. You can go to him a thousand times and then a thousand more times, and he never gets caught off guard. He never loses track of where he needs to be. He never falls short. He never falls behind on the task list. Our God is able, and he is faithful, and you can trust in him. And when you trust in him, come on somebody, this is too good for you to look at me like a tombstone out there in those pews. When you trust in him, praise the Lord, he's worthy of your worship and that trust that faith will feed your worship anybody come in here determined to lift a hand of praise to the lord or determined to say hallelujah you know hallelujah is the highest form of praise you can lift up before the lord we're all embarrassed to even say that that word i don't know why when's the last time you just said hallelujah you're like oh it feels weird to say though I remember a time I was embarrassed to say that word because of was Baptist. You know, Baptist people don't necessarily say that a lot. I don't know why. Somebody just give it a shot. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's freeing to just break loose in praise and when you can utilize that word with a correct posture in your heart, that's the highest form of praise you can bring before the Lord. Your faith feeds. Your faith feeds your worship. When you've seen him move mountains. You can praise him when things get a little stark or when things are getting wavy or when the boat's rocking and when the valley's a little deep. You can praise him because, hey, you've seen him move mountains before. You've seen him move big mountains You've seen them change lives. You've seen them work miracles. You've seen them heal people. You've seen them take disease from people. You've seen them take addiction from people. Anybody ever seen the Lord do something great? Give him a hand clap of praise in here if you have. You ever seen the Lord do something magnificent? He's worthy of our worship. Hey, church, your faith will feed your worship. Secondly, there's hope. Let me back up. Faith is enriched by sound biblical teaching, though. It's important to get under the word of the Lord and hear it preached. Go to Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. The Bible says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Somebody say that. They will be saved. Not that they might, but if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's his promise to you and I. He's faithful. Somebody say he's faithful. He's faithful. Verse 14 says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? That's job security for me and Ben. And how can they preach unless they are sent? You better make sure you're called. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I still have yet to know what that means, but I'll, we'll uh, get with the Lord and figure that out one day. Verse 16. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Your faith is fed by sound biblical teaching. And when you come under sound biblical teaching and you are built up in faith in that way, that faith that is built up in you will feed your worship. That's why it's important. If you're not gonna read the Bible for yourself, you better get up in a small group, have somebody read it to you, like a student. Like a student, you just get humble before the Lord and you sit before somebody You sit before somebody with that thing in your hands and you may not be able to understand it all. You may not be able to read it all. You may not be able to discern the context of what it's saying, but you get there is still power in God's anointed. There's still power in God's called. When God uses somebody to lead another, that's called multiplication. That's called discipleship. We want AI to lead somebody to Christ these days. No, there is still a reason for a preacher. There's still a purpose for a teacher. When you get up underneath somebody that'll read the Bible to you and lead you in faith, then that faith feeds your worship. That's what causes a loud shout of praise up in here on a Sunday morning. That's what fuels the fire during worship. That's, that's what gives you the ability to clap your hands in praise and shout hallelujah in this place. It just happens. It flows organically. Why? Because your faith feeds your worship. Next is hope. first, tech, uh, first Timothy, sorry, first Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 10 says this. For this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope. Somebody say hope. For this reason. What reason? This reason we labor and strive because we have placed our hope in the living God. Who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He is the Savior of all people. What did it say? We strive because we've placed our hope in the living God. You know, your hope, your hope will be your strength's driving force. It's when you hope, it's when you have hope, it's when you hope in something that's strong. It's when you have a hope that lasts, a hope that's enduring. You have a goal in mind, even if you can't see it, you have a hope, so you have a goal. Let me say that again, you have a hope, so you have a goal. Somebody say it with me, you have a hope, so you have a goal. So the valley may be deep, and the mountains may be tall, and it may be dark, and it may be scary, but I have a hope in the living God, and so I have a goal. So I'll just keep walking. I'll keep moving forward. And when it hurts, I'll move forward again. Why? Because I have a hope. So I have a goal. If I can just get to the Lord. If I can finish this race. If I can do it well. If I can get to that moment where the Lord looks at me and says, Well done, son. My good and faithful servant. That's the goal. And the hope is eternal glory with Jesus. I got a hope. I put my hope in the living God, creator of all things. So I have a goal. Somebody say, Amen. amen. Hope will be your strength's driving force. When your strength needs a little extra muscle, hope will carry it. Now, let me say this. A lot of us, church, we we put our hope in a lot of other things than the Lord. But I'll tell you what, that's cool. God will let you do that. God will let you put your hope in anything you want to. You can put your hope in your money. You can put your hope in your talent. You can put your hope in your abilities to do things or your strength or anything, right? You can lean on your own understanding. He'll allow you to do that. But one thing you'll find out, if you ever just so happen to decide to put your hope in the Lord alone, what you'll find out is that every other thing that you place your hope in will fall at some point. But my God will stay the same forever. He never falls. He stands. He's strong. He's worthy of our worship. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise in here. He's worthy of our worship. Because he's strong. He never changes. He stays the same. He is our refuge, our strong tower. And when we fall, he's there. Think about Peter when he fell in the water. Jesus was just there. I, I don't know what it looked like. I wasn't there. I didn't get the privilege to experience that ordeal out there on the water that day. But they wrote about it, and they said it as simple as this. Immediately, Jesus lifted him out of the water. He fell, and immediately Jesus was there. So I'm going to bank on that. I'm going to trust the Lord in that, and I'm going to trust the word of God, and I'm just going to trust, boy, if I ever fall. And I do quite often. I don't know about you, but Jesus will be right there. Amen? Amen? Now, what does that do for you and I? That in and of itself is the hope. That very proclamation is the hope that Jesus is always on time and he's always right there. And you can put your hope in that. Faith and hope. Faith and hope. I think about the three Hebrew boys standing before a great statue. You know where I'm going. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told that you will, be, you will talk like we talk, Nebuchadnezzar telling them that you will talk like we talk, you will walk like we walk, you will be indoctrinated to believe how we believe, and I'm going to erect this statue, and it's going to be huge, and it's going to be worthy of your worship, so he said. And when the music begins to play, I want you to face towards it, then bow and worship the statue. Well, when it came time for uh, everybody to, and it was a multitude, the Bible says, a lot of people out there, when it came time to worship the statue, the music began to play, the drums would roll, things would sound, and the heralds would speak out, and next thing you know, everybody like clockwork would bow down and worship the statue, except for these three Hebrew boys. Why? Because they had a faith and a hope in a living God. And they wouldn't bow. They were strong in that. They were strong in their hope. You say, Austin, how how does that say they were strong in their hope? Wait, it gets better. Trust me. So Nebuchadnezzar pulls them, uh, gets his people, hey, yo, go get them. We need to talk with them. Maybe they misunderstood, right? Maybe they, correct me if I'm wrong. This is what the Bible is saying, right? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it's like maybe they misunderstood. So Nebuchadnezzar talks to the three Hebrew boys And says, hey, um, all right, so maybe you misunderstood, but it's when the music begins to play, you're supposed to bow and worship this statue. Let me remind you if you don't bow and worship the statue, we'll throw you in the furnace, we'll burn you up. You're going to be a kebab. So let's give it another shot. So they go to give it another shot. Guess what these boys did? They stood right there. They stood in their hope. They stood. And so Nebuchadnezzar was like, oh, no, this is not going to happen. You will obey me. You will listen to me. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls him up. He says, hey, I told you you got to bow to this statue. You got to worship this statue. And three Hebrew boys. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, I remember this reading, uh, reading through this. It's a big, long chapter in the Bible. I couldn't read it all out for you. We'd be here for two hours. But um, I just want to paraphrase so you knew kind of the context here if you'd not read it in a long time. So Nebuchadnezzar, I thought this was great. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, why didn't you bow when the music played? Why didn't you worship the statue? And he said, hey, king, yeah, this is the boldest statement they make. We have no reason to even answer that question. We don't even have a reason to answer that question. Because the God we serve is mightier than you. I don't know if you know what that means. That means certain death for these boys and they knew it. He says, I don't even have a reason to answer that question, King Nebuchadnezzar. Because our God, the living God, is mightier than you. And he will deliver us from the furnace. Oh, I, I feel a faith rising up in me right now, and this is the kind of faith I want to exemplify as much as I can because the next step, uh, statement they make is, but even if he doesn't. They say, we don't have to answer you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is mightier than you, and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will still never bow because we serve him and him alone. Why? Because he is worthy of our worship. That ain't even the good part. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the furnace, right? And the furnace was heated seven times hotter than it ever was, right? It was so hot that the men who bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to throw them into the fire, they had to get close enough to chuck the boys in there, and they burnt up just getting close enough to throw the boys in the furnace. And something happens. One of the men look into the furnace and they say, but, hey, king, didn't we, didn't we throw three men in the fire? I was like, yeah, yeah, I thought we did, yeah. I thought so. I know the two, uh, uh, Jimmy and Joe, they, I mean, they fell out, but we threw three men in the fire. He said, why is there another one in there? And they're all walking around. They're all walking around. Didn't we heat this thing up seven times hotter than it's ever been? Oh, I'm about to shout. They're all walking around and one of them looks like the Son of God. Praise God. Jesus was the fourth man in the fire. He is worthy of our worship. It's upon that faith and hope that you stand. And when you stand boldly on that faith and hope, you can stand boldly like these three men, these three Hebrew boys, and just say, King, we aren't gonna bow to you. Let me put it in context. Devil, we won't bow to you. Sickness, pain, you are not my authority. Cancer, you don't own me. Anxiety, you don't tell me who I worship. Fear, addiction, pain. You don't tell me who I worship. I got some people in here that know about that C word. Oh, cancer. They've been through it. But who was the fourth man in the fire with you? That's why he's worthy of our worship. That's what our hope and our faith comes from. He's walked through the fire with me before. I could sit here and tell you all kinds of testimonies. I'm sure you could talk to me back and tell me testimonies, how he's walked through that fire or he's walked through the valley with you. Some of you are walking through a valley right now and you're hoping and wishing, oh God, would you be this for me? I hear the preacher preaching and I hear the people testifying I hear people clapping their hands like they know what he's talking about, but God, would you just show me? I promise you he will, if you stand boldly like them boys do. I promise you he will. He will show up and be that fourth man in the fire with you. He will show up and walk through that valley with you he will be your light at the end of the tunnel because he is your light at the end of the tunnel church he is worthy of our worship Y'all about preach me out lastly is love love where would we be without love I can't make it a day without Sandy's love I gotta have my Sandy I'm the only one she won't kill if I call her that. Some of y'all get away with it because she likes you, but. Oh, Sandy. She used to give me the desk there. Now I think she thinks it's cute, so I'm going to keep doing it. Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible says this Now these three remain faith, hope, and love. How convenient. I think, you know, obviously God did something there. But the greatest of these is love. So faith is. Oh, man, it's monumental in hope. Boy, you could stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before a world that is so contrary to the word of the Lord. You can stand boldly as a disciple, as a follower, as a true believer in Jesus and say, we will not worship you that are of this world, but we'll worship the Lord. And you can do all that, and that's magnificent. But the greatest out of all that is love. It's love. We strive to be loved. We want so badly to be loved, us people, humans. It's that one ingredient that is just so important to our mental states, our ability to press forward. If we don't feel like we're loved by anybody, we don't feel like sometimes that there would be a reason to press forward. I don't know if you've ever gone through a season of depression where you felt alone and that nobody loved you but it's a very real thing. So just because you've not gone through that doesn't mean that somebody sitting next to you hasn't. And I'm going to tell you what, that's a very real thing and that's a very hard thing to go through, much like many of the things we go through. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a love that's everlasting. And there's a lover that will love you to the uttermost. I'm talking the kind of love that is never ending and never changing, right? God doesn't love you anymore tomorrow than he does today or as he always has. He loves you the same right now as when he did. As he formed you in your mother's womb. He will never love you more because he can't love you more. He loves you with the utmost love. He loves you greater than you can love yourself. He loves you greater than your mama loves you. That's a lot of love. He loves you greater than anyone you've ever come into contact with could ever say or do anything to prove it to you. Love, that they love you. He loves you as a matter of fact i heard an old country preacher one time he made this the entirety of his message just the fact that john three 16 doesn't just say that god loves you but it says god so loves you it's emphasized it's like god so loves you like he loves you this much like he proved it as his son died on the cross for our sins god so loves you it's a magnificent love church I want you to know today, church, that shutting the door to worthless worship looks like obtaining a love. Receiving the love of the Father, but then also loving. Rebounding that love. Sending that love. Casting that love. The Bible says we can love because He first loved us. And so, uh, if you want to talk about worthy worship, if you want to talk about um, shutting the door, what's the effective action we can take to shut the door on worthless worship in this room today? It'll look like this. You'll obtain a love, first of all, for God. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, body, strength, and all the other words. Love your God. Love people. You want to shut the door on worthless worship? You better obtain a true love for God and a true love for people. Some of y'all are hard to love, but I love you anyway. You'll obtain a love for God's house. A love for this place. A love that drives you to get up and show up on a Sunday morning. A love that drives you to make extra effort to get here for a small group to get up underneath some good, sound, biblical teaching. You'll get a love. If you want to shut the door to worthless worship, you better get a love for God, for people, and God's house. This place used to be so much more important to people than it is today. This place used to be so much more important to people than it is today. If you want to shut the door to worthless worship, you better get a love for God, people, and His house, and His purpose. We ought to be a people on mission for the Lord. Why? Because He's worthy of our worship, so I'll devote my whole life to Him. I'll fall and I'll stumble along the way, but buddy, my life belongs to the Lord. If you ask somebody when I die, what did he do with his life? I hope to goodness they could exclaim that he was a man of God and lived his life for the Lord. I hope to goodness that's the testimony I live before people. I hope that's the testimony I've lived before you. But would that be your testimony? Would that be if nobody else had any words to say about you other than what they saw on you and in you, would they be able to say something like that? I hope so. I hope so. If you want to shut the door to the worthless worship, get a love for God and for people, for his house and for his purpose. He's worthy. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, if I speak with human or angelic tongues, if I sing the most beautiful melody I can, but do not have love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I can sing the prettiest melody you've ever heard up here, but if I do it outside of love, before the Lord, it's nasty noise, it's nasty noise. It's like, get the picture here, get the, get the image, God is in heaven, like, when we come with this posture of worthless worship, as we bring our, ourselves before him and exclude love in this place, a love for him, a love for people, a love for his house, and a love for his purpose, when we exclude that love for him in here and we bring this weird, like, bless me if you can, attitude and posture before the Lord, what happens is he just goes, ooh. it goes gross. I wish that you were hot or cold because when you're lukewarm, I just want to spew you out of my mouth, the Bible says. It's worthless. It means nothing. He says, I have the, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions uh, to the poor, some of your versions may say, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Do you get the picture? Put your finger right there in your Bible because we're going to come back to that chapter. Uh, chapter, But do you get the picture there? My worship unto the Lord is not authentic. Hear me clearly, church. Hear me clearly. Those of you who serve here, Leadership, those who teach here, those who are our prayer warriors in this building today or watching online, if you serve, I want you to definitely hear me clearly. My worship unto the Lord is not authentic and meaningful if it only consists of my presence before the Lord. Here I am, God. I showed up today. That should be good enough, right? Bless me if you can, Lord. It's that weird mentality that we get in our mundane uh, back and forth to church. You ever heard the story about the gnats in the jar? No? Steve Harvey tells it. If you don't watch Family Feud, then you wouldn't know this. But I like Family Feud. Steve Harvey's funny. Nats in the jar. You know... There's a peculiar thing that happens with gnats when you put them in a jar. I wish I could put them all in a jar because they're annoying. When you put gnats in a jar, you put two, three, four, five, ten, it don't matter, put them in a jar, what are they going to do? They're going to hop and bounce and try their best to get out of that lid. And so a young boy took a jar. He grabs The jar, and he swoops a cloud of gnats. You know, they go in clouds. They'll suffocate you if you have your mouth open on a motorcycle. So this young boy, he goes, he goes, swoop, and gets a whole bunch of them in the jar and shuts the lid really quickly. Oh, how cool. I got a jar of gnats. And it's fun because they're bouncing around like in panic mode because they got to get out of there. So it's like, ding, 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 ding. You know, they're trying so hard to get out of there. Sooner or later, the gnats get tired, right? He sets the jar down, lets them settle. They settle, and they're clung to the walls of the jar. But any time the boy would come up and kind of shake the jar up a little bit, they'd go wild again. They'd hit the the lid because they gotta get out. They gotta go, they gotta go, 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 go. They gotta get out of there. It's panic mode, it's frantic, it's wild. And then the boy will set the jar back down, and they'll settle. One day, the boy got tired of the jar of gnats, it's like, why do I have a jar of gnats? So he takes a lid off the jar of gnats. But the gnats didn't leave. He shook it, he moved it around as he took the, jar, the lid of uh, the lid off the jar, but the gnats didn't leave the jar. <laughs> the gnats stayed because they became comfortable in their confinement. They had trained themselves to only jump so high because every time they jumped, they would hit the ceiling and fall back down. So in this moment, the gnats would jump and they would bounce around, but they would never exit the jar because they had only trained themselves to jump but so high so that they don't hit the lid. Some of us are scared to move forward in our worship to the Lord because we're afraid that we might hit our head. You feel like all these years my prayers have just hit the ceiling and fallen back down. So why would I go up there again this week? Why would I bow at the altar and pray to the Lord this week? My prayers hit the ceiling and fall back down. You've trained your worship to only go but so far. You've become comfortable in your confinement. And that's a lie from hell. That's a lie straight from the devil get out of that. Shut the door to your worthless worship. We've become too comfortable in our confinement. Break loose. Be set free. It's a glorious thing when a group of people come under the understanding that God is worthy of our worship and no matter height or low, uh, uh, depth or with, no matter dark or light, we are going to praise the Lord because He's worthy of our worship. It's a beautiful thing when a group of people come under that understanding together and you shake walls down and you make, you make a, a, a arenas rumble with praise when you understand that anything outside of a love for the Lord displayed in worship is worthless worship. It's worthless to come here and just say, here I am, Lord. This ought to be good enough, right? Right? i went to church today buddy don't judge me i heard somebody tell me that all the time there's a difference between judgment like i'm criticizing you to the point of where you you feel judged and incapable of going forward in the uh, motion that you've been and then sound biblical correction and reproof from the bible there's a difference there don't come at me talking about don't judge me i went to church it's not enough to just show up and sit at a pew. You're, you're, what did God say? I am not pleased with you. I'm not pleased with you when all you do is come and sit at the pew. It's all about what's in you. We can have all the fancy lights, one day maybe we will. We could build the biggest building and have all the great facilities, and maybe one day we will. But if we don't have love, we ain't nothing. We ain't nothing. A social club, maybe. We make each other feel good, maybe. Hang out, maybe. But Before the Lord, it's not pleasing. It's not pleasing. Your worship means nothing if you come only before the Lord with just your presence and no posture of your heart in love with him. How do we love the Lord? Well, we receive his love for us. In other words, you have no excuse. He loves you to the uttermost right now as it stands. So much so that he's had mercy on you to give you that next breath you're about to take right now. (sighs) Mm. He gave me that one through his mercy because the Lord knows I don't deserve it. I've messed up too many times. I've gone against the Lord. I've sinned. Too many times, I'll sin. You leave me to myself long enough, I'll sin. I'll fall short of the glory of God. Don't look at me like you're you're not experiencing the same thing. We all fall short of the glory of God, but his grace, that's the thing I'm getting to here. His grace and mercy is crazy. His love for you is crazy. It's a crazy love. I encourage you, it's an old book, but Francis Chan wrote a book one day called Crazy Love. It sold millions in a moment of uh, no time at all. And he gave it all to the church. He gave every dime that he made off that book to the church. Test me. Look it up. It's crazy. But it became one of the most monumental books to build my faith because it let me understand, it made me understand the depth of God's love for me. And that yet while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And he loves me. And he cares about me. And the same is for you in this place. Meaningful worship unto the Lord is a love pursuit. It's a pursuit of love. It's a pursuit of love whose intention is to reach the Father's heart. You ever heard uh, how they describe David, a man after God's own heart? Is a man after God's heart. Are we a people after God's heart? If we're not a people after God's heart, I'm sorry to inform you, but we've been taking part in meaningless worship, worthless worship. If we are not a people of God's heart, let me wake some of you up, I guess I'm boring up here today. If we are not a people after God's heart, this is eternal life and death of what I'm talking about, that's why it's important. If we are not a people after God's heart, then we are taking part in worthless worship, and God says, I wish you would just shut the door then. That hurts. Ouch, I don't want to shut the door. What do you mean? You ever heard somebody say, I just didn't like worship today. It just didn't suit me. Good thing, buddy, we wasn't worshiping you. We should be a people after the Father's heart. And that's serious. That's the only reason why I say it like that. Because it's dead serious. Don't be a clanging symbol to the ears of the Lord, but yet a beautiful and bountiful fragrance unto the Lord. As an offering, God, I love you because you first loved me. And I trust you because you have been faithful. And God, you are my hope. And I got hope, so I gotta go. And so God, I'll press forward and I love you because of it faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love if you're let me let me narrow it down let me let me wind up here so we can get to lunch if you're finding it hard to love god love people love god's house and love his purpose if you're finding it hard to do so as of late I'm fixing to throw this watch in the trash You're finding it hard to love God, love people, love God's house, love God's purpose. Maybe it's because you haven't yet experienced the depth of God's love for you yet. Just based off what the Bible says is we love because God first loved us. And so if you're having a hard time loving, God and loving people and loving His house, loving His purpose. If you're having a hard time doing these things, maybe you've not yet um, uh, to its fullest extent experienced the depth of God's love for you. And you can. You can. It's made available to all of us in this room. band, would you come up with, with uh, what you're going to do during this response time? 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. But then go forward, 1 Corinthians 13. I told you to put your finger there. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Mm. The Bible gives clear signs and things to look for that will tell you if the love of God is on you. It'll tell you, the Bible will tell you if you've been experiencing the love of God. The Bible will tell you if you have the love of God in you. Listen closely. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self seeking, is not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Hang on to that one, buddy. Uh, verse seven it bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and endures all things. Verse eight says love never ends. And then it goes on with the context there. Did you get that description of love? The Bible is very clear. It'll let you know exactly what to look for to see if the love of God is in you and on you. If God loves you. If you've been experiencing the depth of God's love, you should experience that. Because God loves you, the Bible says. But let's nail that board into the wall right now. Just check this out. The extravagance the biblical view of love is that it says this in 1 John chapter 4. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. You say, Austin, why is that so extravagant? Why is that the extravagance of the biblical view of love. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. If we're going to take the Bible seriously as it says God is love then we'll look at this and we'll say God is patient. God is so kind. God doesn't envy any of you. He's not boastful. He's not arrogant. God's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not Uh, he's not irritable and, and he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Through the mercy and the love of Jesus on the cross, thank you that he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. God finds no joy in unrighteousness. But rejoices in the truth when you bring your true, unadulterated self before the Lord. God bears all things and boy, hasn't he on the cross. He believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a clear, focused snapshot that gives you a glimpse into the character of the God who is so worthy of our worship. That's why he's worthy of our worship. That's the extravagance of the biblical view of love. And so you've been in here and maybe you feel like nobody loves you. Maybe you feel like, God, why does it feel like my prayers hit the ceiling and fall back down every time? Or maybe you've been so convicted, saying, oh God, has that been me? Trust me. Try sitting in the office, reading this, praying, oh God, how could I preach this if this is me? Search me, O oh Lord, see if there is any of this in me, God. Have I been taking part in worthless worship? Have I been in here spinning my wheels, doing things that mean nothing? or is my life a pleasant fragrance an offering to you i ask you church look down deep inside of you today and ask yourself that same question god have i been taking part in worthless worship Let me let you know something church, being a part of worthless worship is not something that comes from the stage. The stage does not lead worthless worship, so to speak. Worthless worship is led within the individuals of each and every one of us. So you must search yourself. You must compare and contrast. You must take the authoritative word of the Lord and stack it up against yourself and see if you stand. And if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, give me the strength and the ability to turn away from it immediately. Turn and run from that. And let me come to the heart of worship, which is a pure, unfiltered love for the father a pursuit of the father's heart would you stand in here with me as the band begins to extend this invitation to you i want to extend this invitation to hey it's pastor austin thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for joining in on what god is doing right here at overcome church i want to ask you something Would you consider giving to the ministry here at Overcome Church? We are looking for new ways and opportunities to expand the gospel message preached from this pulpit. We are looking for all the ways God wants to use us to reach people like you and people like me and people around the world. And so if you would like to join in with this ministry and truly impact the people that this ministry touches, would you please consider... Uh, giving safely online, or maybe you want to uh, send a check by mail to our PO box, or or maybe the next time you're here in person, would you consider giving either in the offering plate or or in the kiosk? Either way, you can choose one of these three ways to give to the ministry here, and it will be stewarded well, and it will be used to uh, truly impact the community around us for the namesake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope this message has given you good perspective, new perspective. I hope you can go now throughout the rest of your day with new thought and new determination to serve the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us here at Overcome Church. We love you. We can't wait to see you next time.